Um, Hebrews chapter 11, from verse 24 to verse 29, is a brief synopsis of the, the story of one of the greatest men of faith, of true progressive faith, not, not beliefs or believism, which is just static beliefs, but a, a life lived, progressing, moving forward in faith. And there's a difference between beliefs and faith. And so this whole series is about progressive faith. And we're looking at, at this little section of scripture that describes the progressive faith that Moses walked in. And, and, and as Moses walked in progressive faith, God worked through him to advance an entire race of people. And the message here is that the desperate needs of people may touch God's heart, but it's progressive faith that actually moves him. If needs moved God, we would see miracles falling out of the trees like ripe apples every single day, but we don't see that. And why is it? The world is filled, the body of Christ is filled and overflowing with desperate needs. But needs do not move God. They touch his heart. But what moves God is faith in his word. True progressive faith, not just beliefs. And so this is all about the eight steps that Moses took in his life as he walked in progressive faith. And I'll read this scripture and I'll emphasize the words because there are eight words that represent these eight steps. It begins by saying, by faith. When Moses was come to years, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ to be greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, because he had respect for the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as if by dry land, which the Egyptians attempting to do were drowned. So in review, we've covered six of these so far. Faith, that's where Moses began. And the Bible says that when he was come to years by faith, he began this walk. And so faith, when you enter the path of faith, it requires a decision to grow up spiritually. Because coming to years is a spiritual, not a numerical destination. Secondly, we've talked about the fact that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So walking by faith begins with refusing to continue in your present condition. Number three, it says he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So progressing in faith is made, true progress is made by choosing what we need over what we want. And we also covered the word esteeming. He made that calculation, he made that choice because he esteemed or he valued, he calculated and esteemed the reproach of Christ to be greater riches than the treasures of Egypt because he had respect for the recompense of the reward. So progressive faith esteems or evaluates God's favor over the pursuits of men. 
And then the last time I was in the pulpit with this message, we brought out, no, the second to the last time, sorry. We brought out the word forsaking. The Bible says he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Progressive faith requires fearless forsaking of the things that resist what God is trying to do in your life. Just knowing the will of God does not produce God's will in your life. You must conquer those things through that faith that are resisting the place that the Lord is trying to bring you to. And then the last time we shared on this message, we looked at the word endured. The Bible says that Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. Progressive faith will endure and overcome Satan's opposition while it stays focused on Jesus. Well, I'm excited about coming down to the word kept. Kept is the seventh step. This step is unique from the previous six steps because the first six steps Moses took by himself. By faith, he decided to believe God. He refused, he chose, he esteemed. All those things Moses did. But this step needed to be taken by all of Israel together. So as the body of Christ, and not just you as an individual or me as an individual, but us collectively as the body of Christ, let's hear what this message is saying to us today about keeping the covenant of God because Israel had to do this collectively together in one accord. The Bible says that they kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood. They kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood. And then it resulted in the eighth step was that they passed through the Red Sea. So listen. God's plan to deliver the Israelites depended on him being able to break Pharaoh's will. And in order for that to happen, all of Israel had to keep covenant with God. And let me tell you why. So that God could treat Pharaoh's resistance against the Israelites as an attack against the covenant. Now, you need to grasp this. Because God has set up the covenant so that by agreement, when we're brought into covenant with him through the blood of Jesus Christ, if we walk in the covenant, when the enemy rises up against us, he's rising up against the covenant of God. God defends his word. God defends his covenant. You and I expose ourselves needlessly when we forsake the covenant, when we don't walk in the word of God, when we don't walk in covenant. We step outside and we think that because I'm a Christian, the Lord's going to protect me. Because I received Jesus in my life, I'm going to be protected. But that isn't true. We have to keep the covenant. One of the things that's weak about the church, which has, which has resulted in the world sinking further into darkness, is that we don't keep things anymore. Do you understand what I'm saying to you today? We don't keep what God has given us. Keeping things, being faithful, is no longer a virtue, or it is a diminishing virtue. This word kept is one of the most important features if you're going to live truly a life of faith. Isaiah 49, 24 and 25 says, can the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken and the prey of the tyrant shall be rescued. 
For I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. Wow, could any of you use that promise today? I will contend with those who contend with you. Wouldn't you like to have the kind of walk with God that when the enemy sends his agents out against you in whatever form they happen to come, that God steps in between you and the attack of the enemy and says, I am taking this battle personally, and the Lord fights your battles. That only happens when you walk in covenant because God defends his covenant. He's obligated to his covenant. That's why he made a covenant with you and I. Praise the Lord. It was how he could be faithful to us. How could God be faithful to people who are imperfect? How could God be faithful to a church that he knew was going to stumble and fall, even though he had forgiven us and put us under the blood? How could he be faithful to us when he knows we're going to turn around and fall flat on our face again? He does it because he can be faithful to his word. If we keep covenant, even though we fall flat on our face, the Lord picks us up, and that's why the Bible says, though the righteous fall seven times, they get up again, because God will pick them up. He'll make us to stand. Can you say praise the Lord? So the prey can be taken from the lion's mouth, and the captives can be taken from the mighty. When we walk in covenant, God said, I will contend with those who contend with you. My goodness, I'd like to see some victory today. I'd like to be able to turn on the TV and, and see the bad news overwhelmed by some good news. Praise the Lord. And I believe that's what God wants to see. I believe God wants to contend with those that contend with us. The Bible says God is love. Specifically, God is a paternal love. God is agape. He is a paternal love. And your heavenly father, because he is a father, because he is paternal love, he desires to deliver us and he desires to meet our needs. He wants to meet our needs and he wants to deliver us. But God's greatest desire isn't to meet our needs or to deliver us. His greatest desire is that we know, believe, and keep his word. Because if we keep his word, God will keep us. The Bible says the word of God is upholding the entire universe. The universe is upheld. All things are upheld by the word of his power. Do you see how perfect, how faithful, how powerful God's word is? When he spoke his word, it brings things to pass. It never returns to him void. God's word produces the thing that he sends it and sows it into the ground to produce. And so you and I have been given the privilege of being ground in which he can sow his word into us. Does God's word inform your thinking? Does it guide your actions? Does it correct and challenge and reprove us when we're pulling to the left or the right? If we let God's word rule our life, then God will defend us from the enemies and he will contend with those that contend with us. So if you keep his word, God will keep you. 3 John verse 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health. God wants us to prosper and be in health. God wants to meet our needs. He doesn't delight in our misery. But that scripture goes on and says, I pray above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. God's ultimate desire is that we would see the value of his word and treasure it 
and we would hide it in our hearts, but we would show it through our life and through our action. Praise the Lord. God has placed everything that he wants to do for you and everything he wants to give you, he has placed it inside his covenant word. And if you remember a couple of years ago when I took a couple of months and taught on the blood covenant, that essentially the mechanics of the covenant were simple. They take two separate parts, like a divided heifer, like a divided uh, calf, and they bring them together to form one whole and new being. And that's why covenants have always been so important among the nations, because a nation that is weaker will seek to make a covenant with a nation that is stronger, so that being brought together in unity, in oneness, the strength of the strong will overflow and strengthen the weakness of the weak. And so there's a, there's a reason for entering into covenant. Because now you are bigger than you really are. You're more than you really are. When you enter into covenant with God, you're larger than you are when you're outside of covenant with God. And so God says, when you enter into covenant with me, I am your provision. And I will inherit your weakness and you will inherit my strength. And whoever attacks you attacks me. That's what blood covenant does. And so when we keep covenant with God, when we keep covenant with Him, covenant is not just believing His word, it's acting on His word. For example, Jesus said, I give you authority over all of the power of the enemy. Do you remember that in Luke 10 and 19? And so we could take that and simply make it a belief. Well, I believe that God has given me authority over all the power of the enemy. Therefore, anything that is from the enemy should not be able to overpower me. But you'll no sooner say that, and the enemy's going to have you on your back. Why? Because just believing that he has given you authority over all the power of the enemy does not enact the covenant. If you want to open that covenant gift, then you have to couple it with the scripture that says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You see, for every covenant promise of God, there is an action that must be taken. That's what progressive faith is. It is acting upon the word, not just believing it. Religion is choosing a set of beliefs. And that's why the world has little respect for Christianity today. Because they hear a lot about beliefs, but what they need to see are signs and wonders and miracles. They need to see the heavens open. They need to see Satan stopped in his tracks. They need to see what has happened to Antonio's sister happening multiplied millions of times over. If you really want to see the march into darkness, the slide into hell that our nation is taking today slowed or stopped or even reversed, then we better get busy as the body of Christ and start acting upon the covenant and being the light of the world and not just keeping our Christianity for church attendance on Sunday morning. With every promise of God, there's an act of obedience to the word that triggers the covenant so that God can contend with those who contend with you because they're challenging him. When you walk in the word, when you act on the word, you are an extension of God's word. God's word is working through you. That's what the parable of the sower was all about. 
When you sow the word of the gospel in your life and then you walk in obedience towards it, you become an extension of everything that Jesus said. When he said, I give you authority, he's waiting to see little you and little me walking around, praising him unashamedly and openly, walking, correcting ourselves, adjusting ourselves in obedience to God's word, and then sharing boldly what Jesus has done for us with others. And so as we let our light shine by being, obedience to the, uh, being obedient to the word of God, God sees his word operating in us. We are literally extensions of the living word of God. And if you have a problem with the concept of that, then start by realizing that the Bible says Jesus was the word made flesh. Jesus was the embodiment of the covenant. He was here I am. God first introduced himself to Moses and said, I am that I am. You just tell Pharaoh that I am sent you. But then I am came into the world. Hallelujah. And we saw him. We felt him. We touched him. We have received him into our hearts. God's will, God's desire, God's vision and plan is that the word become flesh. Because the word is going to redeem this world. The word is going to take us from Genesis to Revelation and beyond. So, when you walk in covenant and you keep covenant with God, then God is walking with you. And when life presents a challenge, it's challenging God and not just you. That's great. That's wonderful. Praise the Lord. Because the world can kick my backside, but it can't kick Jesus' backside. Is that not right? All right, now, let's get down to some specifics um, because the Bible says they kept the, the blood and they kept the, the Passover, the sprinkling of blood and the Passover. So, so that God could deliver Israel from the death angel and deliver them from slavery, he gave them two things to keep. There again is that word kept. He gave them two things and they had to keep them. If they'd have failed to keep them, they'd have still been, there'd be no Israel today. There would just be a slave culture living down in Egypt. He gave them two things to keep in order for them to walk in covenant with him. So if you want to walk in covenant with God, here are the two things. You must keep the blood and you must keep the Passover. What is the blood and the Passover? We know what it was for them. They put the blood on the doors. They offered up the, the lambs and then they put the blood on the doors and the lintel and the, stayed inside the house and the angel, the death angel, would pass over them. But while they were in the house, they got together in one accord and they kept what was called the Passover. And so what does that mean for you and I today? Are we supposed to take blood and paint our doors? Are we supposed to practice Passover meals? Let me tell you what the blood, keeping it and keeping the Passover means for us so that we can keep covenant with God. Today, we keep the blood by keeping Jesus' words. And let me give you a verse that shows the connection. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24 through 25. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus is speaking. We engage with the blood by speaking what God is speaking. The blood of Jesus is speaking. Do you agree with it? Are you in agreement? Are you receiving, hearing and receiving what the blood of Jesus is speaking from the mercy seat? We sang that song, come running to the mercy seat. 
But how do we run? We run by acting upon the Word of God. And so the blood is speaking. The blood is, if you will, transferred to us through the Word. As we hear that Word and we allow it to enter our heart and then it needs to rebound out of our lips in praise, in words, in declaration. When we keep the words of Jesus Christ, we are keeping the blood. The blood is speaking a better covenant than that which Abel's blood cried out for. Abel's blood cried out from the ground for vengeance. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I don't want that kind of covenant. I want a covenant that's going to forgive me. It, because if it doesn't, I'm on my way to hell. No matter how much I love Jesus, I can't make it there unless the blood is speaking and I'm agreeing and saying what the blood of Jesus is saying. Hallelujah. If we keep the Passover, what's the Passover? The Passover is keeping fellowship with the body of Christ sacred. I want to really come down on this this morning and I want to deal with this because the church today and all of its various expressions and denominations is not doing the job we should be doing keeping the Passover or keeping fellowship with the body sacred. Our churches, and, and it's not always intentional. I think it just happens because we live in a consumer-oriented society and we tend to be consumer-oriented in our choices. The way we choose jobs, we're looking for the best deal. The way we choose our homes, the things we wear, the things we buy, things we drive, we're always looking for the best deal. Everything always comes down to the best arrangement for me. And I know that I'm making it sound self-centered or selfish. I'm not necessarily trying to cast an air of criticism over the way we choose things in life, but I just want you to understand it's the nature of how we live in the world. So when it comes to church, we treat, we treat the church the same way. What am I going to get out of this? You know, I, I want that music that I like. You know, I want the things that appeal to me. I'm looking for a church that's going to make me look good. Um, we choose the body. And then, you know, it's just like going to the mall. Every store in that mall is trying, to, trying its best to get you to come through its doors rather than the, the doors three doors down. You know, if you're a luggage store, a sneaker store in the mall, you know, there's two or three others in there. You want people coming to you. And so it's no big surprise that churches, while they fellowship and their pastors all fellowship together and everything, they are, they are often operating in competition with, if I don't keep up with what everyone else is doing. And so the whole purpose for the body of Christ is undermined by consumerism. Because people are shopping. I understand. We need to keep fellowship sacred. The Passover was meant to bring you and I in community with one another before God. Not that we should compete. There really is no room for, for John and James, the sons of thunder, coming to Jesus and saying, um, we want a better seat than everybody else does when you come into your kingdom. I, they, they couldn't even imagine what his kingdom was like, but they just knew whatever it is, we, we want to have the best seats in the house. And Jesus, Jesus didn't give in to that. Um, he didn't kick them to the curb. He worked with them. 
And so God's wanting to work with us today. And I think one of the things is uh, we need to get back to treating the body of Christ as sacred because it is the body of Christ. Can you say amen? So keeping Passover is keeping fellowship with the body of Christ sacred. And let me share with you a verse of scripture that I believe helps to uh, bring this point out. In Ephesians chapter 4 where it talks about Jesus rose from the dead and he appointed apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers into the church so that he could help and lift up and, and uh, guide the body. He goes on in that explanation in verse 14 and he says, so that we may no longer be children or immature, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Let me just pause for a moment. Is, are many churches today not invaded by the cunning craftiness of men, deceitful schemes? As we see the list of what we believe in and what we stand for change from what the Word of God says to what's popular and trendy in the world? Absolutely. The church is being subverted by the world. And so we are seeing churches and their leaders uh, being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and uh, you know, following the, the breeze of the world rather than the cloud of glory. So he says uh, that you should no longer, he's put us in the body so that we should no longer be tossed around by human cunning and craftiness, but rather speaking the truth in love we may grow up in every way into Jesus, who is the head. From him, the whole body, now listen to these words. From the head, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which God equipped it. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. Now listen to me. The purpose for the body of Christ is so that you and I as Christians can be connected vitally to him. There is no scenario in the New Testament where people get saved and they just live a life in a dark, cold world, isolated and keeping their belief and faith in Jesus down on the inside while they live connected with the world. There is no scenario that you just can't find that paradigm. It doesn't exist. Instead, there's a very definite paradigm. God said, I will be with you as the head of the body. And the scripture says that he has put joints. He's appointed joints. Did you know that you are joined to certain people in, in the body of Christ? All of us like to pick friends. We pick our friends based on uh, common hobbies, uh, whatever they might be, interests, styles. But God has joints that he has ordained. They are in the body of Christ. So when you have found the church that God has planted you in, there are appointments, there are joints, there are relationships that are more than just friendships. They're more than just um, relationships that appeal to what you like. They are ordained and designed by God to work synergistically as you connect 
with this person and with that person in the assignment that God has brought you together in. That is a joint that has been ordained and it causes the whole body, including you, to grow up spiritually, to be delivered from the cunning craftiness of men, to have direction in your life. Show me a believer that has separated themselves from that process. Show me a Christian that says, you know, I'm sick of church, all the hypocrites are in church. Yeah, but all the real deals in church too. And the whole idea is that you find a body and find a church where the truth is respected and you can hammer out your walk in concert with God's people. If they did not keep the Passover, the death angel would enter their house and take the firstborn. Listen to me. There's a reason why the firstborn of God's people are being aborted. There is a reason why the visions and the things of God are failing to come to pass in the lives of Christians and the lives of churches because the death angel is dropping into the house. And the death angel is stalking the house of God because people are not respecting the body of Christ. They're not honoring, they're not keeping sacred the body of Christ. When we gather together, we have got to have a different mentality than I'm just coming to church. What am I going to wear today? Oh, I hope so-and-so talks to me today. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to come together and say, Lord, where's my joint? Where's my connection? Because every joint supplies strength. There's a purpose. There's a reason. And we ought to be seeking those reasons out. Does that make sense to anybody? Nothing derails progressive faith quicker than failing to keep covenant with Jesus' body. And that's why we're in conflict right now. And if we don't start reversing some of this stuff and starting to use the body of Christ for what God has ordained it, treating it sacred and uh, seeking by faith and recapturing our joy to be part of the body of Christ, We are not going to catch up with the degradation that is occurring in our society. Because, listen, Satan has slipped out into the world with force because he's passed through the gaps in the body of Christ that are formed by our lack of faithfulness. When the church of Jesus Christ is strong in a city, that city receives a blessing from God. And Satan has a very hard time doing his deal. He tries. Now, I'm not saying there aren't sinners, there isn't corruption, but it's held at bay. It's held under. And America was like that for hundreds of years. That curtain has fallen. That wall has fallen. That restraint has fallen. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, when the foundations are broken up, what can the righteous do? We are watching the runaway madness of the spirit of Antichrist having its way because he marched right through the walls of the church to get to our neighborhoods. Nothing derails progressive faith quicker than not keeping covenant with the body of Christ. And treating the body of Christ like a consumer is the the highest form of defilement. When the body of Christ is supposed to be the place where we come to bring the sacrifice of praise. Look, I I come in here on Sunday morning feeling like the last thing I want to do is bless the Lord and praise the Lord. But when it comes time to pray, I need to tilt my head back and lift my voice. 
I need to bring the sacrifice, the offering of praise. Who's greater, my feelings or Jesus? Who's worthy, me or Jesus? If we say he is Lord, he needs to be Lord through our actions. You know, instead of, instead of saying, thou hast turned my morning into dancing for me and singing, we ought to be dancing. Are you, doesn't that make a little sense to you? Cindy, what do you think? Does that make sense to you? If the, if the Bible says that we should be dancing before the Lord, then let's not sing about it. Let's do it. Praise God. And I know you're going to sit there saying, oh, I got two left feet. Well, you know what? Dancing, God will probably heal them. Something will happen, you know. Your little, your little you know, Pentecostal two-step will be holy unto the Lord. When we break those joints with which the body of Christ is held together, we are breaking fellowship with Jesus. And that's a strong statement. I'm going to back up and say it again just in case you didn't get it. When we break fellowship with the body of Christ, we've broken fellowship with Jesus. Now, I would get a face full of argument from a lot of Christians. And I've thought about this long and hard over the years. And I'm not saying that that means that you're not saved. But what I am saying is the fellowship, the flow, stops. It stops. And, there, and I'm sorry if that makes people angry. Sometimes the truth does hurt. God, you know, God gives his body wisdom and power to overcome Satan's aggression. He doesn't just drop it on individual people that have no regard for the body. He gives it to the body. If you notice the seven messages to the seven churches in the book of Revelations, and to the church at Thyatira, and to the church at Pergamon, to the church of Smyrna, to the church of Philadelphia, to the church of Ephesus. God spoke to the people collectively. If you weren't a healthy member of that body, you weren't receiving what he was saying. You weren't getting it. God gives wisdom and power to overcome Satan's aggression to the body. It's to the body that those prophetic words come forth. It's in the body that we receive them. It's working out our relationships together is where we actually walk in the power that we can bring home with us and see it applied in our home. 1 Corinthians 12 says, The human body has many parts. But the many parts make up the one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we all have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Did you catch that language? We've all been baptized into one body. When you were baptized... In the name of Jesus Christ as Lord, when you were baptized, what do you think that meant? What did it mean to you? It probably, at that point, as a new believer, it probably just meant, you know, I'm really committed. But specifically, it is an act of being baptized or immersed into the body. Not just into Jesus, but into his body. How can you be baptized into Jesus and not be baptized into his body? Jesus is not a bodiless head, a big head floating around in the universe trying to make electronic connections with people. His body is how he connects with the world. We must keep faith with the body of Christ because God weighs how we treat him by how we treat his body. 
And I really believe that, that if, if that's not something that you think about, that you probably should leave this morning really making that something you consider. Does God evaluate how I treat Jesus by how I treat his body? God has set his church among the nations of the world as the light of the world. And we must understand, now here's a big give, I guess that's what they call it. Imperfect things can be sacred things. And this is, this is a mistake that Christians have made, and it has allowed them to treat the body of Christ maliciously and wrongly. To think that to be sacred, you must be perfect. But everything sacred is not perfect. The body of Christ is not perfect, but it is sacred. You are sacred to God, and you are certainly not perfect. And you and I need to understand that we should stop withholding our energy, our commitment, our love, our passion, and our time from the body of Christ because of the imperfections that we see that we don't like. That body is sacred, and God is working, and he wants to work through not just you. He wants to work through the joint that is formed when you and this one come together in his purpose and in his calling. It's Jesus who is being glorified, not you, not me. We receive the overflow of that glory, and it just blesses and lifts us up. We need to see Psalm 133 fulfilled today. How good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. That's what that Passover was. They sat at that table and shared together in unity. It wasn't just Moses, the leader, making a decision to put the Lord first. It was now Moses couldn't do this for them. They had to do this. Every Israelite had to come together in the, in the joints that God had created, and they needed to honor that. And they needed to have that Passover, and the Lord was in the midst. That's how he kept death and the death angel from dropping into their homes. That's how, soon after, he was able to deliver them out of slavery and into their new destiny. Praise God. For Psalm 33 says that how good it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, for there, in that place of unity, the Lord has commanded the blessing. There is a standing order flowing from the throne of God. When we treat the body as sacred, God says, bless them. I will insert myself into their fight, and I will fight their enemies. I will contend with those that contend with them. Think with me this morning. God could increase his presence and his activity in your home and in your marriage if you would increase your presence and activity in his church, among his people, in his purposes. The more people give themselves to the body of Christ, I'm not saying anything other than just that basic principle. Give yourself and be faithful to the body of Christ. And treat the body of Christ as you would treat Jesus. Watch the increase of God in your own home and in your individual life. 
Today's message, as I close, has to resolve with this admonition. Satan is tearing into the church today. And he's tearing into the church trying to find the covenant. He wants to get at the covenant. He wants to stop the covenant from working. He wants to nullify its effect upon the nation. Satan could not do to America what he's doing today if the church were walking in covenant with God. He could not do it. It would be impossible. We would be a barrier of resistance. The spirit of Antichrist would not be able to be successful except in small little pockets here and there. But we are seeing a unified front of darkness rising and swallowing up the nation. And it's going to continue happening until we take that better covenant that is the blood is speaking and begin to walk in it, begin to honor it. The admonition today is that Satan's tearing into the church. He wants to nullify the church's effect upon the nation. So each and every one of you, I encourage, recapture your vision for keeping the covenant of God as members of the body of Christ for the sake of God's plan for the world. Why should you do it? Because of God's plan for the world. You and I, whether we like it or not, when we receive Jesus, I mean, the, I went from being a hardcore blind atheist to being a Christian like that. Never been in church, never prayed, never opened a Bible in my life, and that's not rhetorical. I literally never had the night that I became a Christian alone in my bedroom many years ago. I did not know at that time when I received Jesus that I was taking on a responsibility for the world. I didn't know it. But it's all right. God knew I would accept it as, as because he how, how, would he, how does he know I would accept it? Because he sent his spirit into my life. Just like he sent his spirit into your life. And that spirit, that Holy Spirit in you is crying out through you for the world. That spirit is what brought Jesus into the world. For God so loved the world, he gave. How did Jesus become willing to endure Calvary? He became willing because of the spirit that was in him. He loved the world and the joy that was set before him. That joy is before you and I today. And we need to recapture that vision as members of the body of Christ for the sake of the world and for the sake of God's purpose. You might be sitting there thinking, wow, I just joined the church. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't trying to take on the world. Well, I don't know whether to say congratulations or sorry. <laughs> But here it is, folks, here it is. And really, congratulations, could there be a greater life for you to live? Amen. Is there a greater life? Is there a greater purpose? Come on. Amen. Let's keep the covenant of God. Amen? Amen. This morning is Communion Sunday, and I, you know what? I'm just going to move this a little forward. I'd like everybody to stand with me. We... Um,